0: This episode of Fat Mascara is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. Therapy is a safe space to get those things off your chest. Plus, it can help you develop coping skills that make your life easier. I will give you an example. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me say it to Jess or to a guest, reframe. Well, I learned that technique from a therapist. Here's an example. Now that I'm a freelance writer and podcaster, I get lonely working from home, and I feel like I'm never going to get to collaborate on projects again. And that's the truth For no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mascara today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash mascara. Again, betterhelp.com slash mascara. hello everyone welcome to fat mascara i'm jen hey i'm jess hi guys it's thursday i love thursday because we get a big in-depth juicy interview with someone we are really interested in the beauty industry and this week oh we have a good one we have a good one we have jimmy paul so Guys,
1: I've been waiting for this one for a long time. Jimmy Paul is really one of my, I'm going to steal this phrase from Michael Gordon from Bumble and Bumble or the founder of Bumble and Bumble. He is a hair hero of mine. And Jimmy Paul actually um, worked with Bumble and Bumble for some time. We'll get to that in the interview. He is one of those hairstylists who I really think doesn't just create hairstyles. He creates hair characters. He creates, I shouldn't say hair characters. He creates creates characters with his looks. And when you see a Jimmy Paul image, you know a Jimmy Paul image. So I don't want to um, take up too much time here banging on about how much I adore him. I think you're going to be able to tell just how fantastic this man is when you listen to the interview what a story what a life story what a trailblazer what a new york icon
0: oh so new i was like i was loving all the new york talk about he took us through the years of of like the nightlife in new york i learned so much other than about hair also it was such a good interview
1: yeah this i mean at, at a time where i feel like new york is really going through a renaissance i think this was um the perfect moment to have somebody who lived and breathed through some of New York's most incredible years. Um, just take us back to that time. So, Jimmy, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for um, just opening up about about who you are and your story. Let's take it away, Jimmy. Jimmy, 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 uh, thank you so much for coming to Fat Mascara. I really, you know, you're just such a, an, an awesome, you know, person. You've got such a great story. And I really want our listeners to, you know, <laughs> say, start from the beginning. But I want to know, like, just more about who you are. You know, they can, if they're not already familiar with your work, I, I urge everyone to go check out your Instagram. Um, it's at, just at Jimmy Paul. Is it at Jimmy Paul NYC? Or is at Jimmy Paul?
2: Just, Jimmy Paul
1: Hair. Oh, Jimmy Paul Hair. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I follow okay. you. So I just, you you just come up. but. Do check out Jimmy's work and just be razzle dazzled by the beauty and the theatrics. But I want to get to know who you are a little bit more, like you know, as, as a human. So tell us where did you, where did you grow up? Let's start there.
2: Okay, I grew up in a little town called Swissvale, and it's outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's a, little, little. Uh, a little steel mill town, like that's sort of the foundation. People moved there that worked at the local steel mill. So the whole town was sort of related to the steel mill. <laughs> so and all my ancestors worked there. And my mom uh was a hairdresser, is is a hairdresser. She's retired, but
1: do you guys talk hair when, we do, when you come we do. home?
2: We we talk hair and beauty. And uh my mom always wants to know like what supplements I'm taking or what <laughs> uh if I'm on a new Diet or found any new food? Like, yeah, we talk
1: about stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, you you've definitely, you know, talked about your mom as an influence, <laughs> yes. you know, in in your work and in other articles, and you know, you post photos of your mom on True. your Instagram. Can you talk a little bit about your mom as an influence in your work or just kind of who you are?
2: Yes, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I had I grew up in. Um, a mostly single mom, single parent home. So I believe that, you know, my mother was, uh, super important to me because that's how I instinctually how I was surviving. This was the person who was, uh, you know, helping me to, uh, be alive. And so I think what happened was that she made a, my mother became a very big influence in me on me, uh, And one of the things that I loved was watching her get ready Mm. and the empowerment I saw in that. And uh, it was a real, and the joy that she got. And then I remember that she would get happy when I would be happy with (laughs) how she looked. You know, like it was a kind of a mutual Uh, Joy of of just my childhood.
0: Did she, was she an influence on you then deciding to like make your way to New York and become a hairdresser? I'm sure she didn't want little Jimmy to leave her side.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Well, uh, I kind of, um, I was a very, very good little boy. And then by the time that I got to adolescence, that kind of flipped and I became like a, I guess, a kind of, to me, maybe not to anybody else, but more of like a bad kid. And I started to uh, be defiant and start to become uh, into alternative kind of music and things that my little very, very conservative blue-collar neighborhood, I became like somebody from Mars, right? I became Mm -hmm. very different. And, um, And I became interested in... Um, uh, you know, very cerebral, like a uh, very uh, bedroom culture. Like I stayed in my room and I looked at magazines and I watched television and I, I was, you know, I had interests that the other kids didn't have. And so it was very weird. And also, uh, you know, I look like a girl and, uh, people, you know, I got, I went through that whole thing of being made fun of and and being an uh, outcast. So I became as a reaction to that, I guess I became quite defiant and I pushed it and I, you know, uh, dressed up more and I, you know, and, and so I think that, um, it was almost like I had to move. Not quite, but it was yeah. almost like, you better get out of here else you're going to get in trouble.
0: Did you go right to New York or where'd you?
2: No, I tried San Francisco first because okay. a, a girlfriend of mine, it was a little music, scene in Pittsburgh that was very influential it was like in Pittsburgh one of the exciting things about it is it's a college town and so um, I gravitated towards the college town out of my neighborhood which was pretty convenient on the bus and I was hanging around like this uh, like new wave, punk rock shows and and things like that and I met some, I made some friends which wasn't so easy in my little high school town kind of thing. So I had some great friends including the uh, hairdresser Luis Angelo. We went to high school together. Maybe uh, he's also uh, does the same kind of work as I do and he's brilliant and and um, so he was a great friend and we shared a lot of these kind of things of uh, being different in our small town. And then we both eventually moved to New York and work uh, in the fashion business doing hair, which is, of course, just mind blowing that that happened.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were in San Francisco, were you doing hair or that? No,
2: no. So I was on this little music scene and I made friends with this great woman named Gail. And I I had just graduated from high school and I just knew that I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to get out of town. And Gail was moving to San Francisco after graduating from college and she said I could come. So I've I've got to jump
1: in. I've got a question. Was your your mom like during this time? Cause I, I know how hard that type of, you know, time is. And and I get the whole bedroom culture thing, and the you know alternative music thing. Like at this point, were you kind of like get away, mom, or was your mom like I see you, honey? Like you got to do your thing, like you know, or were you kind of splitting off from from
2: her? I think it was a combination. I think that uh, you know, I don't think my mother had any um, uh, reference for yeah. for me, and I think yeah. that uh, there wasn't the language. In this is I'm talking 1982, I think. So, or 1981, 1982. So there wasn't that language of quote, I see you. (laughs) You
1: (laughs) I think that came out like three years ago, yeah. (laughs) Yes,
2: yes, there wasn't anything like fluid. Mom, I have agency, um, okay? Yeah, Yeah, there wasn't anything like that, but you know, when we talk now. I get that more. Yeah, that it was sort of like you have to find yourself. This yeah. isn't the right place. I get it, but it. I was just imagine very, that's
3: hard. That was hard.
1: Yeah,
2: it was very hard because it, it, Where I'm from, people don't always move away. Um, even there's very few gay people. There's very few. You know, it wasn't. It was. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. That it was. You I had was, to
0: find your people. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I was. I was very. I stood out. And it okay. was a good place to get, get. And also, like I said, I was defiant. I wasn't, um, I wasn't the person I am now. And, you know, I, I like to make, you know, I, uh, I like to, uh, get things done and be professional. I wasn't that person. So interesting. I, uh, Yeah, a lot. A lot has happened between then and now. But so I went to San Francisco, not knowing really what I wanted to do besides to go out to nightclubs. So I went to San Francisco, and as you could imagine, that didn't go last very long. (laughs) Going to nightclubs and trying to figure out like what kind of work I could do. So then, um, shortly after, I I moved to New York, and um, I got involved with the nightclub scene. This was very important to me from, uh, very like kind of mid teen to, uh, I don't know, mid to late, uh, late twenties was a very, very big part of my uh, life and my, uh, culture and my community. And, um, the community has remained. Uh, I still, a lot of the people that are very, I'm very close to, I know. I met in those, what,
0: So I met what in were those clubs days. were you going to? Was this every night? What was the vibe like in New York then?
2: Well, I actually, uh, it, I worked in nightclubs. That's what, eventually I started to work in nightclubs. That became how I survived for a while, off and on. Um, and I worked at, uh, there was a very seminal nightclub in a scene, and it was almost like my school was called the Pyramid Club, which was mm. quite famous. But at the time, the Pyramid Club, like, I don't know if all nightclubs are the same, but it was really about the managers of it. You know, like, so mm-hmm. the, the Pyramid Club closed a few years ago, but it was nothing to do with the place I went. I was at because the managers were, that were what made it. You know, like, say, like, yeah. nights. It's not the, the venue, it's the yes. vibe, yeah. Yes, it was the vibe, exactly, well put. So I did everything there from, um, oh, I was a... Um, Cope check um, I was in and then there were performances so I uh, I I uh, did drag in those days and I was uh, go go dance and drag and I was in some bands and I uh, and there was an amazing dressing room scene right where we would get ready oh, and, yes. uh, and there was it a sounds very, like fertile
1: I, ground for the right you know exactly. what we're about so, to do.
2: Right. So there was um and there was a sense of uh elders there. And there were incredible uh performers named Ethel Eichelberger and Augusta Machado. And they were older. I, I don't know. They're much they were probably much younger, definitely much younger than I am now, but they seemed much older than me. <laughs> and uh they had come from the They knew people, especially Augusto knew, like Candy Darling and the Warhol people. And, you know, so there was this uh, lineage that I felt like we were a part of. And uh, at one point, Ethel said to me, Jimmy, you love doing your hair and makeup so much. Maybe you should do it for a job. And um, it kind of occurred to me because I wasn't a brilliant performer. You know, like I wasn't getting anywhere. It wasn't really becoming a profession. And, um, and when so, you say
1: performer, you mean like a musician? Or are you talking about... Yes, like, I was in like, bands,
2: okay. but I couldn't... Right. I wasn't a musician, like that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> I was in some bands, but that didn't mean that I was a musician. I wasn't... <laughs> I, I don't think I was very good. And also, we, I would be involved in performances and drag shows and stuff. And of course, it was a blast, but, um, and, but I don't... I, it was never some kind of thing that I was excelling at, that it seemed like this is going to segue into a career or a job. You know, I had some fun and uh, I was photographed some, which you may know about, and uh, by Nan Gold. Yes, yeah. That stuff, that, 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 um, you know, that lasted. But believe me, I I, didn't, I wasn't on, I wasn't, RuPaul and Lady Bunny both come from that scene. Uh, You know, that's where I met them when they're brand new in New York. And I wasn't on that trajectory. (laughs) I wasn't going to be like them.
1: So, did you want to? So are you saying that you didn't want to keep pursuing drag? Because I heard that you were like a name. Like I've heard of Jimmy Paulette. Right. Yeah. Tell me about Jimmy Paulette. Well,
2: I guess I've never really thought about it that way. I've never really thought of it that way. But it, I felt like there, it, I was sort of coming to the end of that cycle
0: mm. and
2: of doing drag, and you know, I didn't. I had tried doing some being an bands and I had tried performing and I didn't really feel like I was nailing it like it was fun but I didn't feel like okay this is my future and I'm gonna right. keep doing this I didn't feel like I didn't really feel like I was good enough to be honest and um, but I could tell you the the story of my name Jimmy Paul and Jimmy Paulette well because so whenever I went to the Pyramid Club and drag the first night to go-go dance when I had lived in New York for about a month. And I was 19. I, uh, cause I knew someone who worked there and I said, could I go-go dance here? And like the drag Queens and they said, yes, come, you know, come. And I, so I came and they, the older, uh, guys at the bar, for, for, that were sitting at the bar said, what's your name? And I said, it's Jimmy. <laughs> and they said, you have to have a drag name. And I said, oh, I didn't think of that. I don't know. And then one of them said, because someone had made this dress on me made out of tulle, uh, you know, like the tulle is that how, however you pronounce that? In. And I guess it looked French. And they said, oh, you look French. Uh, Paulette. And I said, <laughs> okay. And um, so... So then, my drag name was Paulette, and then Lady Bunny, who I'm very good friends with, started calling me Jimmy Paulette because I would be out of out at the clubs a lot, out of drag. So you know, I was Jimmy. So she put it together in her own way, and uh, it it stuck. And then to move the story up a while, I uh, I when I went to work for Orbe, the uh, genius hairdresser he had this amazing partner named omar who was an agent he had an agency for hair and makeup people and my last name is very long my real last name is very long and um and hard to pronounce and so he said you have to we have to come up with a name for you how about jimmy paul and i said okay
0: Wait, without, without knowing about Jimmy Paulette? Or did he know about Jimmy Paulette? No, no, he had
2: known Jimmy okay, Paulette. Okay, okay. So he made up Jimmy Paul out of love it. Jimmy okay. Paulette.
0: So, I always thought it was your middle name. I love no, this story. No, no, no. Okay.
2: I, I, and a lot of, it was really supposed to be like my new last name, you know, like um, yeah. a stage name, I guess. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people called me Jimmy Paul. And I never, re- I never, I never, I um, never, corrected them. So it's funny. I just, I feel like I just got guided into this name, into this names, into the drag name and this name. Like I just sort of, uh, went along with it because I was pretty, um, open to suggestions because I was, uh, it was a survival thing. So luckily I like it, you know, I mean, I'm to say I like it is, it's more like, it's just my name. I'm used to it. I don't, I don't dislike it or maybe I think I appreciate it because it's, um, at this point, it's sentimental. You know, it's all these people that are all gone. Basically, almost everybody that I mentioned is no longer with us. So, you know, Omar, who made up my name, my work name, is gone. So it's a great memory of him. Ethel, who said I should go to uh, <laughs> beauty school, is gone. So you know, it's it's nice to be to have these memories.
1: So, it, it, yeah, it's kind of it feels like a tattoo or something like a permanent <laughs> tattoo. Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned the beauty school thing. I, I'm You, you know, were doing, you know, you were in drag culture. Mm-hmm. I think about your work so much. And to me, it, it has, and, and this is my perception, it has mm-hmm. real hints of drag culture. You know, it, it feels <laughs> glamorous and outsized and, you know, theatrical and there's character in it. Like, it, it, do you see that informing your work?
2: Oh, absolutely. I absolutely... Oh, good. I thought
1: you were going to be like, you're crazy. You
2: know? No, no. <laughs> or, or how I, I
1: interesting, Jessica.
2: <laughs> I don't think you're crazy at all. I can't help. But, you know, it's me. It's who I am. It's a very big part of who I am as, uh, you know, as much as like saying that my mother influences my work. My mother... I was born in 1963, so my mother was... In my mother, the other thing about my mother was that she was very young. She was 20 when I was born. So she was at the height of doing her look and her hair. And so, uh, you know, I seen her go from, you know, bright red uh, beehives to, uh, you know, the Farrah Fawcett look and wearing hair, wigs and hair pieces and then going into. The '80s, uh, early '80s, new wave, new romantic, drag thing, and, and you know, and then being obsessed with David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust. So all of that is in my in my uh, imagination, right? It's all yeah. in my. It's all a part of my work. Um, I do think that there is. I'm am sensitive about it because I've been a. Uh, I think that uh, homophobia is a um, part of our our lives and I think that you know I think that I'm defensive because if if somebody ever sort of described me as oh that guy that makes women look like drag queens like that's something bad I think that that is um I would be um uh the hair on the back of my neck might go up a bit to hear that but I would accept it because I I have grown up with Homophobia, And so I understand that that's just, that's not going away. That's just part of the world. Has
1: anyone ever said that to you?
2: Yes. People have, you name it, people have said it. <laughs> so, wow. You know, as a hairdresser, I think that, you know, we are, it's kind of like um, there is a sense of, it's the most important thing about the picture, the hair. But if, but it's also <clears throat> if a hairdresser reacts, then that's a a diva hairdresser. You see what I mean? Like, so the pressure mm-hmm. is: this is the most important thing. Uh, this is more important than um, world hunger. There is a gun <laughs> to your head, and you are going to die if the hair isn't right. To if I say. I don't agree with that to, oh, diva hairdresser, you know, and diva hairdresser could be gay hairdresser, drag queen hairdresser. You got, you follow me? Yeah. I have. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have experienced that. Yes. And I roll with it because acceptance, you know, I, 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 it's like, yes, I am gay. I am, you know, I am part of this uh, long line of diva hairdressers and um, that's, Let's move on, you know, let's do it. Do you want a ponytail? Like what you know, tell me what you want. <laughs> let's not make her a drag queen. I don't know. I'll take the wig off. I don't know. Let's <sighs> let's let's just get through the day, you know. Oh.
0: Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Do you smile a little, though, in the last couple of years as so many beauty tricks and styles from the drag community have made their way into the mainstream? Are you like, oh, now you want us here? Now we're going to, you know, false lashes that, you know, baking, contouring, these makeup things that all got their start in the drag community and are just, I mean, sometimes people reference where they came from, but not always. How do you feel about that?
2: Uh, you know what? It doesn't, it it doesn't really come into my consciousness. I don't really think of it. I don't really think of it. I think, I don't think, uh, it's nothing I really identify with. Um, I think that, that, uh, my mother wore false eyelashes and I remember, um, them going out of fashion and me, me telling her mom, it's time to stop wearing the false eyelashes. Like the power (laughs) switch happened where my mother was taking my advice. And, uh, so I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't really identify with the current drag queens. You know, also, I haven't done drag for over right, 30 right, years. Right. So it's not something that's like right in my consciousness. But um, right. if I ever saw, if I ever thought, and to me, it all starts with women, right? I mean, uh, my mother wore false eyelashes and hair pieces and wigs. And so, you know, I, I think of it, um, yeah, I don't credit Drag queens for inventing any of that, but I think if if that's somebody wanted to give anybody credit, that's okay by me.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can we? So you were, you mentioned that you worked with Orbe. Is that how you got your foot in the door with the beauty industry, or, or even his uh, the agent he was working with, and you got Omar, an agent? Yes. How that? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that was very early. I had a little bit before that. I, I do want to shout out to in the nightclubs. I met this great makeup artist named Leslie Chilks. And I met Orlando Pizza, the brilliant hairdresser, and I met Danilo, who mm-hmm. uh, I was very good friends with, and um, and they were uh, idols of mine. And I, I guess at some point, even though I didn't have any self esteem, I guess subconsciously I thought I want to be like them. You know, they are surviving in New York, which was a Big part of my desire was to survive because I wasn't doing great with that. Just, you know, place home and place to live and, you know, nice clothes and all the things that, you know, nice dinners or whatever. Like just mm-hmm. the basics, let's say. <laughs> um, and well, I guess the basics, nice clothes and nice uh, dinners is a little bit beyond basic, but I, I I wanted just to be able to survive, and I was struggling with that. So I saw that these people were more than surviving; they were flourishing, and they were living the lives that they wanted. And they weren't conformists, right? They were outside of the box. I didn't I didn't want to change the person I was. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to become conservative, right? I didn't want to like. Mm-hmm. I couldn't work on Wall Street. At no matter what, but I just I, I didn't want to look like that. I didn't want to, right. I didn't want to live like that. So I saw this sort of alternative lifestyle that they were doing as far as and, and they were in the beauty industry. and my first thought was like, oh, I'm gonna do what my mo- mom does because uh, I never I, I had admired so much what my mom did. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I would be good enough do it i didn't think i had the gift that my mother had she approaches hair in a very different way than i do and almost mathematical and that's not the way my mind works so uh it it was a very tentative start when i and the only reason i got to go to beauty school was at the time you could get a grant and a loan uh, in New York City to go to beauty school, so basically, like I went in completely broke and started the next day, which I don't know if that. Would I was exist. about to say,
1: does that exist anymore? Like, I
2: <laughs> doubt it. I doubt it, and uh, and so, and only because I lost all my ID, I got a grant and a loan with a social security card. So just to, like just for context, mm-hmm. it was a very different time, and uh, so I. Uh, when i went to beauty school I, I i didn't do well i didn't i didn't have the hand eye coordination but i i had a i had something that people responded to and i could feel that and so i went to to work as an assistant in some hair salons i got fired for the first from the first one i got then i went to another one and it wasn't uh and, and all they wanted to hire me to be was a a colorist assistant and I was terrible at color. It's quite, uh, again, it's quite mathematical. There's formulas and uh, maybe, you know, uh, formulas and things in color. And I was just terrible at it, but they were nice to me and it was my job, but it really felt like a job. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I just started to feel more comfortable around hair, which I think is a, something that people don't realize, like just touching people every day and, and uh, just the process of that took a few years. And for me to get used to and to be able to really look at women and really look at the hair and really uh, start to get my hand-eye coordination, none of this stuff came natural to me. Um, you know, like say... Uh, even though I was doing my own hair and all the drag stuff, I just had not, no, no natural ability. And that I got through beauty school was really something. I, I can't believe it. In, in fact, I was terrified to take the test because I didn't think I could do any, there's a In New York, in all of the uh, states, you have to take a test to mm-hmm. get you a, a license in hairdressing. It's called the State Board Test. And I never took I heard it because, there was a
0: finger wave on it, right? <laughs> which I could never
2: do. You, you yeah. actually hit on the one thing that I was terrified of. I thought I could never do a finger wave. I could never do a perm. Any of the things that took a lot of dexterity, I was terrified to take. And in fact, I didn't take the test for... Uh, of quite a few years later. And then I took the test and I didn't do any of that stuff great, but the guy was nice enough to pass me. And I was already working in a salon without a, a license, so which is, I guess, illegal. But uh, I got away with it for a few years. So uh, anyway, then, um, then I started to see these ads in Paper Magazine for Orbe Salon. And I had just started to... Look at the uh, credits in magazine. So I was really, uh, a, it was really at the time of sort of the dawn of Stephen Maisel. This is maybe 1984, and Stephen Sprouse. And Stephen Sprouse was a huge influence on, on me. I don't want to say just on my hairdressing, on me. Period. Like absolutely everything that uh, he represented, I I uh, just became like a groupie and then I would see the name um um Stephen Mizell attached to him so I started to look at his photographs and uh you know Terry Toy was a muse and model and she Terry's trans and uh I always identified with that community very strongly and it really felt like something that um I felt very close to as opposed to sort of uh you know, like Yves Saint Laurent or even Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein seemed preppy, which I Mm. didn't identify with. Yves Saint Laurent seemed like it was very for rich people in a way that I could admire, but I didn't identify with, where Mm. uh, Sprouse seemed to capture the energy of the New York City street and youth culture. So that was a big influence on me. And so in the... uh, Paper magazine, which I loved. It had uh, these ads for Orbe Salon. And St- Stephen Mizel had taken the pictures. They're great pictures. And uh, at the same time, my friend Danilo started to work for Orbe. And he told me, and I thought, that sounds like the hottest place in New York. That sounds like the fantasy place to work. And if you know the history of hairdressing, there's always been like the hottest hair salon. And like in the seventies, there was a place called San Andre. And I always loved the idea of that. And I used to read this in my bedroom culture, read about these kind of places in New York. So I thought like, well, that's going to be the new San Andre. That's going to be the new Sassoon, the new hot place. So I, I decided to sort of start all over as an assistant and go there well, I walked in and they were desperate for an assistant. Like the other, there was only one other assistant, and uh, and she had to go away from her to see her family or something. And they were like, "Start tomorrow." And it was just one of those magical things. And that I and I said, "Oh, I know Danilo," and that's all that they really needed. And uh, and so I just got taken into this family. And like I said, uh, eventually Orbe. Um, Omar made up my name. And uh, <laughs> then a little while later, this uh, woman I knew from the nightclubs named Susan Price started to work uh, for Orbe. And it was like, oh, I know you. And uh, later on, Susan went on her own. And we'd be, uh, I went with her and she's still my agent today. So.
0: And you started booking jobs at the magazines you had loved and were reading and and fashion shows too, yeah?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, really, it was a combination of being an assistant and then working, uh, doing my own little shoots, which is still, I guess, the way it goes today for new people. But I I was assisting and assisting uh, Danilo and Orbe on incredible projects like uh, fashion shows and, and, and so on and so forth. More than shoots, I was really assisting more on shows, but Orbe was doing fantastic shows, like, for instance, the Perry Ellis Grunge Marc Jacobs show. Mm. And you know, things You're like You were an that. assistant at that show? Yes, I was. And uh I'm very proud of that. What did you and, think
0: when you saw the the girls walking? <laughs> were you like, this is the moment, or is it just another show?
2: Uh well, again, very similar to Sprouse. It felt like this is, I know this. I'm comfortable with this. I know this. So for and then when I started shooting, grunge was uh I understood grunge, and so it was a uh, a huge catalyst for me because it, if you know the history, it was it went from this sort of supermodel glamour to abruptly to grunge, and some of the hairdressers did not make the uh, make the transition, and it just yeah. it in it, some of them. Stopped working. I don't really know why, because I didn't interview them. But they—they, they, it just wasn't their look. It wasn't their look, and it wasn't something that they understood or liked, maybe. And uh, and all of a sudden, I started to get uh, more and more work. But I do want to say I was very lucky. Some of uh, because Orbe was so hot, you know, so in demand. Uh, the agency that you know booking people would call for the agency for Orbe, and then they would say, like, who else do you have if he's not available? So it really went down the line to baby me. And so I was doing these jobs for, like, uh, magazines like Red Book and Working Women and things like that, that, which, of course, has nothing to do with what my aesthetic was. (laughs) Grunge. Totally grunge. (laughs) Or or, this is actually pre-grunge, so I was still trying to go glamorous. And... uh, because it was all just in a couple of years, it was sort yeah. of like movie stars, uh, '40s, '60s, whatever, to grunge, and very quickly. And uh, but it was a great lesson in focus because one thing that uh, studio hairdressing takes is a tremendous amount of focus which I had zero, I had no muscle for that, right? I had not developed focusing at all. I was in the clouds, you know, I didn't know anything about focusing on anything. I barely went to, you know, I didn't go to uh, college or mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I, was, I wasn't uh, that academic. So I, uh, it was the first time I ever had to like, st- be still and stare and maybe a hair falls out of place and then run in and, you know, all of that stuff. So I, uh, I learned how to do that. I learned how to be on set. I learned how to be, uh, how to navigate the business and in a way that nobody would see because people that were, didn't look at the credits of working woman or Red Book. Stakes as much. were
0: a little lower. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The stakes were, thank you. So it was a great, great thing. And then, you know, then I started to do like front of the book pictures for interview or, or something. And then the the big first success I had was my friend, David LaChapelle. He didn't, he wasn't the David LaChapelle uh, that you know, but he was, uh, his pictures didn't look like that yet, but he booked me some because I was very good friends with a guy named Joshua Jordan, who's a photographer, but he, we were all friends from the nightclubs and Josh was styling And he got me on some of David's shoots. So what happened was I had a portfolio and it wasn't just test shoots. It was magazine pictures. So this was also a little, a little successes that. And so then it just sort of snowballed a little bit. And uh, I started to do interesting things. And then the English people all started to come to New York and, and like Melanie Ward and different english people came and Guido and, and Dick Page and then that brought an energy into uh, into the fashion world and somehow i was uh, i was okay to them so i started to work with them i worked with Camilla Nickerson really early when she came to vogue so i'm talking mm. must have been 93ish so all of a sudden i was doing baby stuff then by then i went to work for garen And then that was an entire new education. You went to work for him
1: in his salon? Yes. Okay.
2: So I had left working for Orbe. I had started being represented by Susan Price. And then I started to work for Garen. And Garen was a very different point of view of hairdressing. And a very disciplined... I? again, had no reference for, uh, a very disciplined approach to uh, a lot of things that was a huge influence on me. And uh, and it, very, very, very uh, grateful to all of these um, people that uh, influenced me. But Garen uh, really changed my work ethic and my, again, focus and navigation. These were crucial to hair to doing hair
1: like it seems like all these people just keep on tightening and tightening and tightening the wheel or like the screw
2: yes that is a really good way to put it and and, uh and you know i learned so much about hair products and things working for all of them but Garrett. i think what happens is when that that period from going to an assistant to being on your own is an incredibly fertile learning time because I knew a lot but I didn't know a lot so all of a sudden because I had some confidence all of a sudden I started to connect the dots working for Garen and all of a sudden when I first started working for Garen on fashion shows they I would get everything that I did redone You know, somebody, Garen would say, like, do that. Somebody else do that over. And then I went through the process of them saying, give them to Jimmy, give them to Jimmy, Mm. give her to Jimmy. And then I saw that and I was like, oh. Uh, So it did amazing. It's an amazing thing to have respect from your peers or from your, uh, what's the people, um, your your above peers. What mm-hmm. would that? The boss. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing to have that uh, validation, and it really changed my uh, confidence.
1: Was there a, a moment in your career? I mean, you've had a long career, but was there a moment or a goal that you were seeking out this whole time? Like, I know I'm going to make it when you know I book this campaign, or I'm working with this designer or model like is there something you've been chasing this whole time or something that you chased and, and now you you've done it and you feel pretty great
2: well I think that uh, like I said early on in our uh, discussion that Stephen Mizel was a very big influence on me so I thought you know that would be the ultimate right and mm-hmm. uh, and then being around Orbe and Garen. American Vogue cover seemed like uh the ultimate Mm. right and these two things and uh again absolute magic uh I met Steven Meisel and uh he became a sort of um without saying it somewhat of a mentor and uh we knew each other socially a little bit and and uh through his uh, partner benjamin who was a dear friend of mine who is a dear friend of mine and uh, so i got to know him socially again this is so much more than anything i'd ever expected you know i never thought i would know someone like that and uh and then started to book me on some on some jobs again i thought like this is a fluke i'm not ready for this and uh and it started to snowball and I got to do a a bunch with Steven and including, um, an American bow cover in like 1996 with, um, my first American bow cover was 1996 with Winona Ryder. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a turning point. Of course, that was a turning point. And, um, I think it would still be a turning point for anyone to get, uh, to get that. But, um, uh, it, that was a that was a difference. Now the thing was, it was sort of like uh, I'm sure to everyone that witnessed that. I don't not to say that people are thinking about me, <laughs> but you know, uh, that they that they thought that was lucky, and I think it was lucky. I also, but to what happened after that was to keep it going that's where the real work came <laughs> you know, that's where mm-hmm. the real work came that's where the real work came because it's one thing to be a fluke and to be young and to get uh, an opportunity but it's uh longevity
1: mm-hmm. well, is you, you said something really interesting and i you know i was doing some reading obviously before the interview this uh-huh. interview and um you know you you said something in an interview you said that in the mid 2000s you got a little complacent you got a little bored. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to read this uh-huh. whole <laughs> long graph. That's back okay. To. But you said that, um, you know, you did start to lose some clients and, you know, your work started to slow down. Then, But from there, it was a real turning point. You said you got inspired. You worked on your craft and yourself. You took in yourself. You took some chances and you did some really avant-garde editorial and you started to build. You had to push yourself. And the idea of something, the, the idea of something being taken away from you was the best fuel. And I just thought I that was super, A, I thought that was really cool and vulnerable that you said that to um, the interviewer. I thought that it was really relatable, you know, that careers have highs and lows. And that moment of, you know, being having something, you know, I think we we all have that, that you know, that moment in our career that like, you know, it, success is like, a, you know, it's not something that you can like, it's not a constant. It's not something that, you can ride out for the rest of your career. Can you tell us more about that time and what sort of work were you doing?
2: Well, at some point, uh, from the absolute thrill of <clears throat> starting, right, of, of working with uh, Stephen myself or Italian Vogue or... Uh, working on projects with Camilla Nickerson at Vogue or, you know, Joe McKenna was a huge early supporter. Now, these are absolutely thrilling. It's the tippity-top of creativity. And um, what happens is I became spoiled. And um, I I became spoiled by the results and by the dates, you know, which were really often very enjoyable. Um, Not that they weren't sometimes really... Difficult, but that they were, it just felt like you're around excellence. And one thing I, that I, who's ever listening to this might not know is that in the fashion business, those kind of jobs that I'm naming are not uh, lucrative. They're not how you make your money. A and, lot of people do uh, not
1: know that. They are not lucrative yes. at all.
2: Right. So I I probably somebody might think like, oh, working for a magazine like that is going to be you're you're rich. Well, it's not. But what you get from that is you get your, uh, the payment is really that it says uh, my name on it. And then what happens the way the business works is then you use that, those photos to get advertising work, and advertising is a whole nother ballgame. There are a lot more people to please. There's art directors. There's um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's clients. There's the people that own the companies uh, the, and it's, it can be, there's a lot of compromise and there's a lot of, uh, it can be, it can seem tedious. The days could be really long. The days could be, you know, they might not care about uh, my hair that I did very much, you know, or or whatever. And and I just I just sort of felt like I reacted to it, you know. I I sabotaged it. I didn't like it. And um, and then what happens is, you know, you get in the New York sort of cycle. I think, oh, I have to do this thing. Oh, I have to buy an apartment. That's what everybody does, right? You have to, you know, these kind of things. And all of a sudden, the bills pile. And it's like, (laughs) I can't just work on Italian Vogue. and Or uh, I just can't do paper magazine every day and have fun with my friends. I'm not in a nightclub. You know, this thing happened where, and I was doing some clients where it was really long days, you know, very boring photographs, very commercial, but it paid and I just didn't care and I started and I think people felt that. I I don't know because people don't in my, in the fashion business the only way you find out that people don't like what you're doing is that you don't get hired again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, usually people won't tell you, Jimmy, you should do a little bit better. You should try a little harder. <laughs> it's usually like, yeah. just use somebody else, you know, because it's freelance. So um, anyway, I I saw that happening. And I just, I, I, I saw that like, okay, this thing that was such a dream, I was losing my gratitude for because I was doing the wrong things. And I, I realized that I had to get back to a place of, Appreciation, gratitude, love, inspiration, um, and so yeah. I just started to create opportunity by doing younger uh, or smaller magazines, like in 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 just finding projects that would be inspiring, and also working on my craft. Also, I started to work on um, I draw very amateurly, but I started to work on, I started to do these drawing classes, like just to have a creative outlet. So that like, uh, if I did some beautiful, in my mind, hairstyle that took a lot of focus, energy, concentration, and somebody on the job said that they didn't like it, it didn't feel like they were like killing my creativity. And Absolutely. it's because- you know, in the fashion business it has to go fast. It's only it's limited. So if I do some giant constructed hairstyle and it doesn't seem right to the photographer or the editor, it's my job to be part of the team to brush it right out. And no matter how beautiful I might think it is. and, put it in a ponytail or whatever's right for the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being hard on ponytails in this interview, I know. But, <laughs> You've uh, done
0: some very glamorous ponies. Yeah, uh, I,
2: mean, I, mean, I, would, ponytails I wouldn't mind a Gemma p- Itripo pony, please. <laughs> you, we, we have to give you one. I, I absolutely love <laughs> ponytails and I've, I've worked very, fashion ponytails are not easy. They are an art, especially perfect ones that you see in fashion shows. Oh. I, a lot of people cannot do them and I practice and practice and practice and uh, I've taught them a lot. Uh, anyway, that's another story, but yes. I, so anyway, that, so having my own creative outlets let me come back to the place of let's do what's best for the picture. What do you want? You want me to give you an idea? Here's an idea. What do you think? You don't like it? What about this? You have hats, let me help you pin it on. Like at one point, the, pat, the hats were like an enemy. You know, I was like, hats? Oh no, what am I doing here? I had to get out of You're the bed. You're crushing my hats. soul. Yes, yeah. yes. Exactly. Thank you. You you put it in words that I didn't have. <laughs> crushing my soul. You know, and at some point I realized this is not my soul. This is my job. And I'm here to do a service. And I am in the service industry. And uh, I,
3: I had to, I will to go get that. some hat pins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. This is like this is. I don't know why this is like hitting me really hard today. This Because we've I, both I, been
0: on set and been in that. Exact oh yeah,
1: position. I, I literally—you're going to laugh. I can tell you more about the story another time offline. But I was literally rushing around Geno's to get hat pins, like, like at like seven a.m., like, like this time last year. Hat pins. But yes. um, I'm not a hairdresser, but I get your. I I I empathize with what you're saying, and I love that you turned something that could have just crushed your soul, you could have been like, well, nobody wants me, you know, and you could have just like gone off and done, you know, whatever. And instead you were like, no, I'm going to find my creative spirit. And now, you know, you're juggling your cool avant-garde stuff And your big money stuff. But you also do, like, you've managed to marry them both. Oh, my God. Have you seen people? Go look up the stuff, the stuff, the show you did for Moschino with Karen Elson. Holy cow. (laughs) I mean, that is not, like, a small potatoes creative endeavor. That is the freaking Jeremy Scott Moschino show. Karen Elson's hair is amazing. It is not, like, there is a hat, but it's not tucked (laughs) up. It's not hidden (laughs) under a hat. Like, the hair is a main event. So... Um, no, it's just you 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 constantly turn out new tricks. I don't know where you get these new ideas, but I I think your your story, and I I brought up that quote not to like bring up like a so I'm gonna drink like bring up a saddled quote. Like I think that quote is so important for anyone who is feeling kind of like just like in a rut, or especially like I think this weird kind of coming out of the pandemic are we like moment has a lot of people kind of like just feeling uninspired. So um, I don't know. I I really
0: think your story is awesome. All right, Jen, should we do the FM5? We do a little like personality, like dig deep kind of speed round of questions. Are you up for it, Jen? Yeah, just a speed round. It's Yeah,
2: it's
1: light, it's quick, it's fun.
0: Whatever you want. (laughs) What's the first uh, beauty or grooming product you remember falling in love with? Little Jimmy watching Mom, maybe?
2: <laughs> uh, Gina, Gina Tay. It's an after- <gasps> Gina Tay. Oh, yeah. yeah. An after bath splash. The
0: splash yeah. with the yellow jar with the black. Yeah. Of course, of course. I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> um, if there's one rule you wish everybody would follow, what would it be?
2: Uh, to have empathy for everybody that's on set.
0: I like the ending. It's I, on set.
3: I, I, thought, I thought it was just on set. Like <laughs> no, I... I, think, uh, I thought we
2: were talking about work, but... Yeah, no, no I love it. that's
0: great. I think that's great. Okay, uh, what's your favorite indulgent snack?
2: Chocolate.
0: And what's the most played song on your playlist right now? Or ever?
2: Uh, um, I love old old kind of obscure disco and that. So it always changes, but uh, there's a song that I've been playing lately called, uh, I forget the name of it, but uh, I love all that kind of stuff or, or some stuff from my childhood. Um, but I love old disco and uh, I love uh, this singer called Viola Wills. I love uh, stuff that's sort of like, it just, it just conjures up stuff from uh, a particular time in my childhood. I love that
0: kind of... I find it very mm. comforting. Yeah. Um, if there was to be a movie made of your life... Meanwhile, I feel like we just did the audio version of the movie of your life. I love that. I, 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 I want to see it. I want to yeah. see the movie of so, your okay, life. So, okay, let's... Visual, there's going to be a movie made of your life. Who should narrate it?
2: Linda Evangelista. Ah!
0: Of course. <laughs> she's a fat mascara like, former guest. Yes, so we'll just call her. She has a beautiful voice. I'm sure you guys are like
2: tighter than we are with her so yeah in my dreams
1: she's got such a breathy voice it was so nice just because of her
2: because she's a hero so I I just it was just my uh first instinct
0: oh no I think that's the way you should go with it so we'll make sure that's noted in a movie of your life that will come out (laughs) um this was so awesome to catch up with you and hear some of the stories of how you got to where you are in your career thank you more to come. Oh,
1: Jimmy, thank you. This is great.
0: We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com.
1: We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question,
0: email us at info at fatmascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening.
2: Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?